0: Morning everyone. It's going to be with you all this morning if you want to open up with me in your copy of scripture to John chapter 15. We'll be continuing our study of this great chapter this morning. So the last couple of weeks we've been focusing on this great passage of God's word where we see Jesus at the beginning of John chapter 15 identify himself as the true vine, the true vine that will indeed bear fruit, the one that is doing everything that Adam failed to do in the garden, that Israel failed to do, that Christ is indeed the true vine, pictured in Isaiah chapter 5, that will indeed bear much fruit. And all those united to him, found in him by faith, abiding in him, vitally connected, to him will indeed also bear fruit. And we spoke last week about this importance of abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ. Not only abiding in prayer and in his word, but abiding in his joy and in his love, that because of what Christ has done for us, we can now indeed prove to be his disciples and bear much fruit by abiding in Him and abiding in His love, seeking to keep His commandments and walk in all His ways. And this brings glory to God and um, brings glory to Christ. But what we're going to see this morning is that this great love that Christ has for His people that's displayed in His work in the gospel, it takes us from being enemies of God, as we've just read about, to becoming his friends. It reveals to us this great plan of redemption that God has in in eternity, and it actually empowers our love for one another and our sacrificial care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that this love that we have for one another, that Christ is going to point us forward to and call us to, is the great proof and evidence of our continued abiding in Christ and abiding in His great love for us. So I'm going to read our passage this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will look to God's Word this morning. So um, I'll begin reading at verse 12 all the way to verse 17. This is the Word of the Lord. This is my commandment, that you love For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is God's word. May he write it upon our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy and infallible word that you have given to us, your people. The word that not only convicts us and cuts to very bone and marrow, but it shows us the way of salvation that's only found in the person and the work of Christ. And we pray this morning that as we seek to understand your word, that you would open the eyes of our hearts and by the power of your spirit this morning, you would illumine our eyes to see and understand these things and take hold of them this morning. That they would not be seen as merely the words of men, but as what they truly are, the words of the living God. Help us this morning, Lord, we are weak, we are frail, maybe we're distracted. Help us this morning to understand your word and rest and receive all that Christ has for us in the gospel. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at three different things this morning, break this passage down into three different parts. We're going to see first in verse 12 through 13, the law of Christ the law of Christ. Secondly, in verses 14 through 15, we'll look at the friend of Christ. And then finally, we'll see in verses 16 and 17, the chosen of Christ. We see in verse 12 that our Lord removes all doubt from what He has been speaking to His disciples about, and He states explicitly what He is calling His disciples to. If you remember last week in verse 10, He had said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And our Lord here in verse 12 removes all doubt from what he has been speaking about. And he tells his disciples what he means by these words. He says in verse 12, this is my commandment. He removes all doubt. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another. That you love one another. He is simply restating what he said all the way back in John chapter 13, verse 34, when he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. What does our Lord mean by these words? We see our Lord here exhorts and commands his people to obey and to continue in his commandment to love one another. What we often refer to as the law of Christ. That this this is he says in, in so many words, this is my commandment, this is my law that you love one another. And contrary to what many in our day would seek to do in sort of abolishing or undermining God's law, we see. That Jesus, in his whole earthly ministry, far from relaxing the law of God, actually magnifies and intensifies God's law. And he points us in this passage to the true end and the true telos, the true goal of the law, which is love. In these words that he says, love one another, our Lord is simply summarizing what he calls in other places the second great commandment, To love your neighbor as you love yourself. This commandment that summarizes the latter six commandments that we find in the Ten Commandments. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is our duty toward our neighbor. And Christ here is pointing his people to the true end of the law, which is love. That this commandment to love one another even to the point of laying down your own life, is the great fulfilling of the law. Right? What does he say in verse 13? Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Paul will say in places like Romans chapter 13, verse 8, that love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. That love does not abolish the law, it fulfills it. (laughs) Love does not abolish the law, it fulfills it. As Sinclair Ferguson said, law commands love. The law gives direction to our love. And we might think to ourselves as we're reading these words and thinking on these things, is this contrary to the gospel? Is this contrary to the finished work of Christ? Is Jesus commanding our obedience, commanding us to follow His commandments and His law? Is that contrary to the gospel? And people will cite places like in Romans where Paul says, you're not under law, but you're under grace, right? And people can use these things to say that the law has no abiding benefit for the Christian. But the gospel of grace far from nullifying our obedience to God's law, actually strengthens it, right? We've spoken about these things before. The gospel does not nullify our obedience to the law of Christ. It actually strengthens and enables it. And that's why it's so important for us to see that what Jesus does in these words, and what He roots this commandment in to love one another, is He roots and grounds this commandment In His love for them. In the Gospel. And we see that in the latter part of verse 12. He says that you love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. That Jesus grounds this commandment to love one another not in some abstract moral principle or some legal demand under the covenant of works, but in the concrete act of His own love displayed for them in the Gospel, in the covenant of grace. Christ is saying, this is what I'm rooting this commandment in, that as we saw in John chapter 13, verse 1, that Christ has loved His own even to the end. He has humbled Himself in washing the feet of His disciples, picturing the washing of His people. He has declared to them the truth in his earthly ministry, and he has fulfilled the law, the law of righteousness, in his perfect life, and secured their justification. But Christ has not only loved his own to the end, we see in this passage that he will love his own to the end, even to the point of his own death on the cross. That what he is saying here, in so many words is, this is what I'm about to do for you. I am about to lay down my life for you. But what makes Christ's love even more amazing, infinitely more unfathomable and gracious, is that Christ lays down his life for us, not while we were his friends, but as we read this morning, while we were his enemies. That while we were in our sin and rebellion, hating God and hating one another, unable to keep Christ's commands, hearts of stone that are callous to God and his law and hardened in our sin, Paul tells us that at that time, Christ died for us. This is what we read in Romans chapter 5, verses 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died For the ungodly. That God showed his great love for us, not while we were his friends, but while we were his enemies. And Christ laid down his life for us while we were still sinners. Paul summarizes it in these five great words Christ died for the ungodly. And so as we think on these things this morning, and as we remember what it means for Christ to lay down his life for us, it makes the words of our Lord in verse 10, verse 14 that much more amazing because he tells his disciples, you are my friends. You are my friends. Jesus declares to his disciples this greater love that Christ has for his people when he declares to them, that you are my friends. And that leads us to our second point this morning, the friend of Christ. That we see this great and amazing love of Christ displayed for us in the gospel. That Jesus is the one that laid down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for them while they were enemies so that they might become his friends. He is the one who loves his enemies even to the point of death so that they might be made his chosen and beloved friends. This is the greater love of Christ that makes us friends of the living God, taking us from being enemies of God and welcoming us into God's family as dear children, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, so that Jesus can say, You are my friends. <laughs> this is an amazing statement, brothers and sisters, that we who were in our sins, were enemies of God, can now be called friends of God, taking out our heart of stone and putting within it a heart of flesh. And as Jeremiah and Ezekiel tell us, writing his law upon. Our very hearts. And that's why Jesus can say what he says in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command, that true believers have the spirit of Christ empowering them to do what Christ commands, causing them to walk in all of God's ways. This love of Christ that we see pictured in Christ's death on the cross is a love that changes us. It's effectual, meaning that it accomplishes and causes what it commands. It causes us to love God and the things of God, to love Christ and to love his people. And that's why it's so amazing what John says in 1 John 4.10, that the only reason we love is because he first loved us. And that's why he can say in verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, but friends. Because a servant does not know what the master is doing. A servant is not privy to the plans of the ruler, but Christ has come to reveal to his people God's eternal plan of salvation focused on his person and work. You go all the way back to John chapter 1 verse 18 at the very end of John, John's prologue. He says that no one has seen God, but the eternally begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has made him known, has revealed him, has exegeted him that, that the incarnate Son of God has revealed to us God himself. And what does Jesus say in John chapter 15, verse 15? He confirms that all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you that Christ has indeed accomplished His purposes. He has revealed the Father. Everything that the Father has told Him, He has revealed to His people. More than that, He has revealed to them the eternal plan of salvation focused on His person and work, the plan of redemption, the mystery that was hidden for ages in the promises, types, and shadows of the Old Testament. B.B. Warfield referred to this like furniture placed in a room that is darkly lit, but now in Christ has been revealed. The light of the gospel has shown us the fullness of God's plan in the person and work of Christ, promised in the Old Testament, but fulfilled in Christ that what Jesus is saying here in verse 15 is that he has disclosed to his dear saints this plan of redemption. He has made it known to his beloved friends. We could say it like this. Christ has revealed to us himself. Christ has revealed to us himself. You go through the whole Gospel of John, this is what you see. I am the true bread. I am the true bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Christ is revealing Himself to us as the fullness of God's plan of salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the true vine, and apart from me, you can do nothing. Christ Is revealing himself to his people as the only way of salvation. And we see that this salvation in our third point this morning is all of God's free, sovereign, and absolute grace. That leads us to our third point this morning, the chosen of Christ. The chosen of Christ that we see In verse 16, that this salvation that Christ has accomplished, this salvation that Christ is pointing His people towards, is not based on their efforts or works. It's not based on some foreseen faith or merit. And it's not because of man's autonomous will, but the sovereign and efficacious work of the triune God and the free and unconditional choosing Christ. Jesus in verse 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. He's saying you did not choose me. You did not muster up enough strength to come to me. You did not co-work with prevenient grace by which to choose me. You did not clean yourself up to make salvation possible. You did not come to me of your own volition, but I chose you. I sovereignly chose you before the foundation of the world, unconditionally elected you unto eternal life of free and absolute grace before you were born. Not based on foreseen faith or human merit, but all of grace, I have chosen you. And this, is, brothers and sisters, is the amazing and unconditional love of Christ for his people, seeking and saving that which was lost. (laughs) Not that which had it all together, not which that was perfect, but seeking and saving the lost and dead sinner, taking enemies of God, And making them his dear friends, giving them a new heart with new affections, securing their eternal redemption by his own blood, seeking out and calling his people to himself. And we sang about this this morning in the great hymn, The Church's One Foundation, right? From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Right From heaven he came and sought her, not the other way around. You did not choose me, but I chose you. That a person is not moved of their own accord to seek Christ until they have first been sought by him. And this verse we see in this sovereign choosing of Christ and the efficacious work of the triune God in salvation is what allows God's people to not only abide in Christ but to bear much fruit. That there's a very important word in verse 16 and it's not the word you would expect. It's the word and (laughs) because Jesus doesn't end there. He says, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This, brothers and sisters, is the sovereign work of God, not only in our justification, but in our continued sanctification. That just as we can say our salvation is sure because of Christ's sovereign choosing of us, so also we can say our bearing of fruit is sure because of Christ's sovereign empowering of us by His Spirit. This word, and, connects these things. I chose you sovereignly and appointed sovereignly that you would bear much fruit. This is what God has done for us in the gospel, and in the person and work of Christ, that our fruit abiding and remaining is sure. It's, we have confidence in that. God hearing our prayers as we come to him in Christ's name, pouring out our souls to him, is sure. Our communion with God is sure because Christ has taken us from being enemies of God and made us his friends. And so as we walk away from this passage this morning, we need to see the great comfort that we can take in this idea of being called the friends of Christ. The great comfort that we have in being called the friends of Christ, because what we see in this passage is profound comfort and inexplainable joy that comes from being called Christ's friend that in Christ, brothers and sisters, we are called friends of Christ. That just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God, so too, by faith, we are called friends of Christ. What an amazing title this is, <laughs> right? We don't, we don't think of this title enough. I, how often do we think of ourselves as friends of of Christ, a friend of Christ, a friend of God. How can this be possible? How can these things be what undeserved love Christ has shown us? Because we all know that in and of ourselves and in our sin, we don't deserve God's love. We don't deserve his blessing and friendship. In our sin, we are rebels and enemies of God under his judgment and wrath and under the curse of our sin. And what our sin deserves. As the Puritan Thomas Watson said, God is the sweetest friend but the worst enemy. God is the sweetest friend but the worst enemy because He is perfectly holy and just. He cannot sweep our sin under the rug. He cannot excuse it or make light of it because He is perfectly holy and just he is the enemy of sin. And so in our sin, as we read about this morning, we are enemies of God. In our sin, we are hardened to our sin and under His wrath. But brothers and sisters, that's what makes the gospel such good news. Is that not only are we saved from the penalty of our sin by Christ's death, but we are reconciled to God and now called his friends. We read this in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, where it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Once enemies of God, now friends. Chosen of Christ, and beloved and this is the great comfort to us in our weakness, in our suffering, in our helplessness, in our trials. This is a great comfort to believers that we are called friends, chosen and beloved of God I loved what AW Pink said he said this that just as Christ sought us when we were lost, when there was nothing but our misery to awaken his compassion compassion, so surely may we count upon him. Whatever our helplessness to perfect the work He has begun in us, what comfort lies for us in the amazing words, I have chosen you. I have chosen you. That this is our great comfort this morning, brothers and sisters, that we belong to Christ and are called His friends. This is what the catechism says, right? The Orthodox catechism. Question number one, what is your only hope in life and in death. What is only what is your only comfort in life and death that both in body and soul, whether I live or die, I am not my own. (laughs) I am not my own, but belong wholly to my most faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And by his precious blood, he has fully satisfied for all my sins, delivering me from the power of the devil, and so preserves me. That without the will of my heavenly Father, not so much as a hair may fall from my head. Yes, all things must serve for my salvation. And by his Spirit, he also assures me of everlasting life and makes me willing and able that from now on I may live for him. This is the love of Christ that transforms us, that empowers and enables us to keep Christ's commands and Christ's law. And it's so important that we see this this morning, brothers and sisters. This leads us to our second point this morning. The distinction between the law and the gospel. The distinction between the law and the gospel. Because we see that it is this love of Christ displayed in the gospel, laying down his life for us, that motivates and empowers our obedience to Christ and our love for one another, not the law in and of itself. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That this is the difference between the law of works and the law of Christ. The law delivered by the hand of Moses that crushes and the law received by the hand of Christ. The law under a covenant of works that can only condemn and the law written on the heart in the covenant of grace. I love what Richard Mueller said here. He said, the law prescribes, the gospel inscribes the law demands obedience and points us towards righteousness but effects neither it cannot accomplish what it prescribes but the gospel on the other hand affects obedience and righteousness by inscribing them on the human heart right this is the difference between the law and the gospel the law in and of itself can only condemn but the gospel inscribes on our hearts that under the law as a covenant of works we are condemned just like Adam just like Israel we're condemned but in the gospel in the covenant of grace Christ has fulfilled the law for us and given us his perfect righteousness so Paul can say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ but now in Christ, that same law that used to crush us is now written and inscribed on our hearts, tablets of flesh. So that now we want to follow Christ's commands. We want to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't want to keep on in following in our sin. We don't want to forsake what God has said because he's given us new hearts with new desires. And it is this love of Christ displayed in the gospel that motivates our obedience and empowers our obeying of Christ's commands. And this affects how we live this Christian life because not only does Jesus bring us into true fellowship and friendship with himself in the gospel, but he also brings us into true fellowship and friendship with one another. And we see that in this passage, this command to love one another, that in Christ we have true Christian fellowship and friendship. We have true love for one another, willing to lay down our lives for one another, serving one another, that this is what Christ has done for his people. He has brought them together, bought them with his own blood. And this is what he calls us to when he says, love one another, <laughs> even as I have loved you. But as we know so, so well this morning is that this is not always easy. This command to love one another is not always easy. That's the thing about loving one another It's hard. (laughs) It's not easy. It's not always comfortable. That's why Jesus describes this great love as laying down your life, dying to yourself, dying to your own comfort and pride and self-sufficiency, loving one another by laying down your own life for the people of God. And it gets even more difficult because we're all sinners, (laughs) And we sin against one another. We sin against others and against one another. We hurt one another. And we're tempted in our sin to separate and divide from one another. This is what the world does. You sin against me, peace out. This is how the world handles sin and disagreements. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to love and forgive one another. We are reminded that this is what Christ does has done for us. Dying for us while we were His enemies. Forgiving us when we did not deserve it and loving us when we were unlovable. And so we see that Christ in His high priestly prayer prays for this unity. He prays to the Father, may they be one even as we are one. He prays for the unity of His people and we are called as Brothers and sisters in Christ, and as we look to Christ, who perfectly exemplifies this love, to love one another, to let love cover a multitude of sin. Because of Christ, we can actually forgive one another. We can actually lay down our lives for one another, and we have the great privilege of showing forth this love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. But the last thing we need to see this morning. As we contemplate this passage and think about these things, as we just should, we should marvel at the work of Christ and what he's done for us in the gospel. We need to marvel at the work of Christ for his people, that this is the glory of what Christ has done for us in the gospel. As we read this morning in our confession of faith, he has done it all, (laughs) He has done it all. Christ has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. He alone has obtained our eternal redemption. He intercedes for us and unites us to Himself by His Spirit. He reveals to us all the Father has said to Him, the mystery of our salvation. He persuades us not only to believe, but to obey and governs us by His Word and Spirit. He overcomes all of our spiritual enemies, and he calls us to himself in fellowship with his body, the church. True friendship with Christ and true friendship with one another. And as Spurgeon would say, this is all of grace. <laughs> this is all of God's free and unconditional grace, and we can take comfort in that this morning, brothers and sisters. As we look to Christ, may we be empowered to keep his commands, to love one another, forgive one another, even as Christ has loved us. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your infinite love for us your eternal and unchanging love that cannot be comprehended. If we're honest with ourselves this morning, Lord, we know that we do not deserve your love or favor. That in and of ourselves, we are sinful, we have broken your law and commands, and we are without hope in this, in this world. But because of the work of Christ, We have great hope and comfort this morning. And if our faith is found in him alone, we know that we have power by your spirit to not only love Christ and the things of Christ, but to love one another. To lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters that because we have been called a friend of Christ, we can truly have true friendship with one another. And so help us this morning in our weakness, Lord, to look to Christ, to look to the gospel, to trust in him and his love for us as our only motivation, that the law in and of itself can only condemn us. But now in Christ, you have written your law upon our hearts, love for God and love for one another. And so we pray this morning that you would help us by your Spirit to see and understand these things, that you would empower us to obey your commands and law, not to try to earn life from you, but having received eternal life by faith. We pray all these things in Christ's perfect and holy name. Amen.